Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm really excited to have our guest on today. Uh, I've known her for quite a few years now. We've worked on some projects together, but I really just always thought that she's one of the most passionate and hardworking people that I know. And I, I love to see those kind of people get somewhere. You know, she's really grown her career quite a bit from when we first met, and she was already doing well then. So it's great to see that. And, uh, you know, to try and carve an hour out uh, to speak with her is pretty difficult because she and I are both very heavily project driven. So unless we're working on something together, uh, especially now that we live in different states, it's really hard for us to find time that we can coordinate something. So uh, we've been talking about doing the show for quite some time now, and we are finally able to do it. So I'm really grateful to bring you her interview. And welcome to the first uh, special Saturday episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Let's bring Victoria on. Welcome to the show, Victoria Page. Victoria, how are you? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Of course. We've known each other for an incredibly long time, and the fun part about it is that we actually worked together several years before we actually met. We did. Yeah. That was a fun little project. On It was a, a pilot that we were doing for what was going to be a web series that unfortunately didn't develop. But I remember watching you in that, and I didn't know who you were. And, but I remember watching you in that and thinking, this girl's really got some talent. I think she's got mm-hmm. a really good chance. And look at you now. You're doing all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Look at me now. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I try to keep as busy as possible at all times. Yes, and you do a great job at that. And when you're in between projects, you're still stuffing your time with photo shoots and all kinds of things that, that I mean, you're just always doing something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I think that you have to express yourself creatively uh, as much as possible. So I try to find different ways, whether it's costuming or photo shoots and different makeup or acting. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do within that, you know, within that world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree. And let's let's start with the song that I, I uh, played your intro into was from my second Mental yeah. Sauna album, which you were on the cover of. And I have such great memories of that incredibly quick photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah, what are your memories? Well, I remember we went Christmas shopping afterward, but... Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I just remember the whole time you're like, Scott, you know, this is not going to take 20 minutes. It's going to take a lot longer than that. We're going to be here for yeah. a while. And it was just done in no time. Yeah, I got this beautiful dress that you got me uh, for the shoot. That you picked out. It's, it's really, it was really pretty. And uh, I thought, yeah, a 20-minute photo shoot, that never happens. That's, that never happens. Right. We got up in that tree, and I think uh, Kelly took a couple of shots, and she's like, yeah, hey, we're done. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> so when I saw the final product, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is way different than what I was seeing in my head. Like, I just didn't see how she could have gotten anything. And she just, she was so good and so quick. And I was really happy. She tends to have a, a really strong visual of what she wants going in. So she's not the kind of photographer, like some of them will take hundreds or even thousands of shots and then pick yeah. out from there. But she just knows exactly what she wants. And she'll take a couple different ones just for lighting purposes. And, you know, just in mm-hmm. case something doesn't come out very well. But she, it was the same thing right. with the first album. It was over so fast. You don't, you almost don't even get to enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I, exactly. I know. It was great. It was really, it was really comfortable and it was really unexpectedly short. 
I think my one of my favorite parts about that too was that you actually found the dress, and then we had to wait for it to come from uh, the other side of the world. Oh yeah, I remember waiting for a long time, and we didn't know if it was going to fit, and it didn't get there until what just a few days before the shoot. So if it didn't work out, we would have had to work very quickly to find yeah, something. But it, it worked out beautifully. You you made a great choice there. Thank you. Absolutely. And I love that pick. I mean, you and the tree and the sun, it just, it really kind of brings out that relaxation vibe that I wanted for the album. It was, I, I couldn't be happier with it. Yeah, I think it worked really well for your, for your album, for sure. And I'm, I'm really honored to have been a part of it. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm definitely glad that, that we did that. And that was actually how you and I really met because we had worked on the, the series um, and then we had like a couple year lull and then I had seen something that you did. Was it Western X maybe? Oh yeah. Western X. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I saw you and I thought I would love to have you on an album cover. And then I reached out to you and then we met at uh, Phoenix Comic-Con. We met in person. Yeah. We met in person at Comic-Con. That's yes. what I remember. Yes. Um, when we worked on Watch Over Me, that, that, that comedy series, um, I didn't know we were working together. I mean, I didn't, it was uh, so long ago. I was just like, oh, you know, somebody can post the music. And that's what the director said. He's like, yeah, a friend of mine, or I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but um, it, he had music made for the for the show. And it worked perfectly for what it was. Um, Thank you. It was such a surprise, though, when you're like, uh, I did that music. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I met you, I was like, what? <laughs> how did that even, like, come about? Because the, the circles of people... Even though this industry is so small, I mean, I, I didn't think that someone from that show would be around, I guess, or around what I'm doing now with the comics and stuff. I, I'm not sure, but I just didn't. It was just very unexpected. I'm really glad that you liked it. I, I, think, uh, I think that was the first piece I sent over. I don't think I had written anything else for it. I think I just really? wrote that and said, what do you think? He said, I just need it to be longer. Cool. You know, because originally it was just going to be the intro to the show. And then because of the the pilots that we did, he just ended up using it for the entire piece because the pilots were only a few minutes long. And that show was fun. It yeah. was. That that would have really been a fun series to do if it had, had been able to continue on, I think. So right there are more and there are more that you can write music for. Absolutely. And more that you can be in. Exactly. So here's the question I have for you. Now, when you and I met in person at Comic-Con in in Phoenix, you were the spokesperson for Comic-Con that year. And Phoenix is like one of the biggest in the country. How do you go from being in this, you know, little web series pilot that didn't get to go any further to just a couple years (laughs) later being a spokesperson at Phoenix Comic-Con? And that's pretty huge. (laughs) It was it was very uh, serendipitous the way everything happened. Um, yeah, I was doing acting locally in Arizona uh, with small, small groups of people and indie things, and um, then a friend of mine uh, started the Tucson Comic Con. So it was a friend of a, a best friend of a friend, um, and I was like, "Hey, listen, I'm going to help you out with promotions and modeling and um, doing little promos for it." So uh, you can help to promote your convention. And he was like, okay, sure, do whatever you want. I have no idea what would go into that. So I would just go on their website, look at their blog, read whatever they had just announced, and then I would make a little video. So what happened with that was when I walked into the Tucson Comic Con, every single one of the guests that they had there had watched those videos, even though nobody else saw them. I mean, these videos were viewed very few times. Um so they, the guests contacted Phoenix, and they were like, we're near Victoria. So Phoenix Comic Con contacted me and uh, said that they were interested in having me be their spokesperson so that I could interview all of the guests, and that's what I did. I, I got a costumer. They provided me with a film crew, and then I got a costumer and a makeup artist and... We just did a whole weekend of interviews and walking around, and it was a lot of fun hosting events. It was great. That sounds exhausting, though, at the same time. It was a lot, a lot of work. It was more than a full-time job. Um, It's what I was doing at the time, primarily. That's all I was doing. 
and I would sit at home with my computer in the middle and then papers all out around me in a circle. And I would go through the website for Phoenix because they didn't know if he was a spokesperson either. Mm-hmm. So they kind of just said, okay, go for it. So I researched every single one of the guests that they had there so that I knew who I was going to be interviewing. Uh, I had to look at all the events. Um, they set me up to host some events. So I had to go and figure out what that was going to be and then make sure I knew about, you know, what I was going to be hosting, what I was going to be talking about sure. uh, at each event. So just for months leading up to it, I did interviews with guests before the show because they had so many guests. So I would take a couple of days and I would go out and I would interview, yeah, I would do those interviews. So interview some of the local bands that they had that were playing, uh, some of the local artists and writers. There's a lot of comic uh, bigger, like Brian Polito, uh, for example, John Lehman. Um, they live in Arizona. So I got to do those interviews before they came in for the show, allowing me to do more interviews at the actual convention. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, get the local ones done so that you can free yourself up to do the ones you have less access to. Exactly. Yeah, so it worked out really well. And you hosted a dance or a costume competition or something? Um, Kids Need to Read. So Kids Need to Read came in uh, several years. They've had me do that where I host their geek prom. Mm-hmm. And I basically just go up and I announce... I announced the winners of the, uh, at the end, they have a, a costume contest. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it for a couple of years, so I'm trying to remember exactly. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but everybody comes up dressed up really awesome, and now every year somebody gets engaged. Oh. So that's fun. It's a fun surprise. You never know who it's going to be or what's going to, you know, when exactly it's going to happen. That's got to be hard to schedule a, a planned engagement so specifically. It's fun. And I would imagine... Every woman that's there is going, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? And <laughs> so there's one happy yep. person and a bunch of deflated people at the end of it all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one person has a sash. Right, yeah. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and of course, you know, we I, I had tried to find you, and that was the first year I had gone. And it's pretty overwhelming and pretty hard to get anywhere because there's so many people. And mm-hmm. we didn't get to meet oh, yeah. up. And then I happened to be in one of the green rooms and you came yeah, in to the green room, right? Yeah. And it was just a total accident that we met, even though we had planned to meet. Oh yeah. It was. And I didn't know, I didn't know you were the Scott that I had planned to meet. Right. So when I saw you and you were like, Oh my God, Victoria. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Hi. Who, who are you? <laughs> and then it just got crazy from there. Yep. Oh, it's so crazy. Oh, it, my God, yeah, it's been so long now. It has, because <laughs> if you if you remember, I think it was a short time after, well, it was, it was what, the September after that, that we worked uh, SabatonCon together. Yeah, yes, we did. Oh, yeah. Where you were kind of doing the same thing. You were spokesperson there. And that was interesting because it was a lot more, like Phoenix Comic Con is, I would imagine, the same as San Diego and some of the others, where it's just kind of a mishmash. Whoever character you want to be, whatever you're selling, it's just all whole, oh, yeah. the whole genre. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sabaton Con is really more focused. Yeah, it definitely is, and they did that on purpose. I think it was, yeah, I think it was two years later that I went in and I and I did that, and they they had me, yeah, do the same kind of thing that Phoenix did. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to it being more focused, it is definitely um, the guy who runs it. His name is Brick. He really wanted it to have that just anime, you know, and mm-hmm. everyone's a family, and it's not going to get too big and overwhelming. And I really respect that about about him and how he runs his shows. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want there to be 100,000 people there where you get lost in the sea of, oh, well, here's another Mononoke or here's a sensi table in the middle of all of these what are supposed to be comics or, mm-hmm. you know, pop culture-related things. So he keeps it, and he keeps it really, really nice. Uh, it does keep growing, though, so he just keeps opening other shows. So that's great. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I do agree. It was very much that. It was it was busy. There were a lot of people there, but it wasn't so crowded you couldn't get through. Um, it wasn't the lines no. weren't so long that you couldn't see somebody you wanted to. Never. It was very well done. No, never. It's, it, it feels like a very, very small, like, third-year con. Mm-hmm. But I got to interview Akura Yamaoka. And Silent Hill, the brand new Silent Hill movie, was just coming out. That's right. Uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, Troy Baker, 
because uh, Kaza was there mm-hmm. uh, for, as their musical guest. I mean, they have amazing guests that they bring in, and they have at that show, and he's still able to keep it with a family feel. It's it's a really good show, the Sabaton Con. Absolutely, and of course, it was a treat for me to to you know see the interview with the composer, being as that's my field, and I love his soundtracks. Yeah, but even through the interpreter, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I'm looking at getting those re-edited. Oh, really? Oh, good. Yeah, so they can finally go up. <laughs> yes, keep me posted on that. Now, the one that you have okay, posted well. was your interview with Phil Lamar from Mad TV. Right. That was a lot of fun. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was He was a riot. He was a, one of my favorite people that I've ever interviewed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just full of energy, that guy. Like, like, he never slows down. Oh, my God, so much. I know, it's amazing. But of course, he's he, on my speed. Oh, is he? <laughs> of course, he wasn't there representing his work on Mad TV. He's done a lot of voice acting in games that people probably don't know as him. Exactly. Yeah, he has. Um, and, and I just wasn't aware of that either. I knew that he did uh, Hermes, I believe is the character's name mm-hmm. on uh, Futurama. Mm-hmm. But he does voices for. I walked into one of his panels and. He was saying that when they couldn't get one of the big actors there to do the voice, his impressions are so good, they'll hire him to do the actor playing the character. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a few people out there uh, thinking Frank Caliendo also from Mad TV would be another guy that could do that. Oh. You know, he's like his Al Pacino voice is amazing. He's got the inflection down everything. Yeah. And so if they needed to hire Al Pacino and couldn't do it, they could get him to do Al Pacino doing that character. Isn't it crazy how that works? It is. And Phil is so versatile and so quick. Like, he's just one of those people who could really do improv very well. Just that speed and the reaction. Yeah. And, I mean, he's doing stuff that's creative and good in that, in on the fly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, whether it's cartoons or movies or, you know, done stuff on Family Guy, I believe, like voice guesting. He, uh, he really seems to keep, oh, he's working on... A show called Goblins Animated. Oh, yeah. So if if you haven't heard about that, listeners, <laughs> um, Goblins Animated is something Phil Lamar is working on, and I uh, I follow that on Instagram and social media so I can watch what's going on with it. And they always have really good guests announced. Um, Tara Strong, it looks like, is in it. Um, Wow. But yeah, different people. So that's that's something to check out from him. Sweet. I'll have to take a look at that. Cool. Yeah. I I wonder, though, you know, you, you mentioned that a lot of people probably don't, or maybe I mentioned that a lot of people probably don't know he does this. Do you think that's kind of an issue in the industry where if you're not on screen, if you're known as a screen actor, be it television or movies, if you're not on screen all the time, if you're going away from that to say, you know, do a, a big convention or do some cosplay work or work in theater maybe, or do character voices, that people kind of think that your career is stalled because you're not visually present? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I want to say what I think, but I, don't, I, could be, I could be totally wrong. Well, that's okay. I feel like, yes, that is something to bring up. Um, if you're not seen, then you're not relevant. And that's not true. Now, voice actors, I mean, when you get into the voice world, though, and you start doing voice, you'll keep getting work. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that translates into in front of the camera work. Right. I just know that you'll keep getting voice work. So that is, like I said, a really good question to bring up. And he seems to be able to do both. Yeah, I, I just think we're kind of visual creatures. And I can you know, think of yeah. people that I'll see that they're in a movie and I'll go, oh, wow, I haven't heard from them in a long time. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not working. It just means I haven't connected with whatever it is that they've done. It happens all the time. I'll be at a movie and Zoe Saldana, Columbia. Right? My, my, um, my parents don't really watch a lot of sci-fi stuff. So we watched that the other day. And my dad was like, man, she kind of disappeared. I haven't seen her in a really long time. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And I mean, I was like, she's pretty huge right now. But if you don't, if you don't listen to voice, you know, if, you, if you're not into animated things with voice actors, mm-hmm. you're going to think the actor's gone and vice versa. So he doesn't watch sci-fi and she was doing an action, you know, so he thought she was gone. So yeah, I guess it is, it is because we are so visual and we're so into our, 
into our fields of view sure. <laughs> with it. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that, you know, we live in an age where if we want to find out what somebody that we're interested in is doing, we can go to their website, we can Google them, we can IMDB them or whatever and find out what they've been working on. And I've done that with with actors that I felt the same way about. Wow, I haven't seen them in a while. I wonder what they've been doing. And I'll go to IMDB and find out that they've done 50 episodes of a television show or, you know, they've, they've been doing something that I just didn't know about because I really don't pay that much attention. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really incredible, the perception versus the reality of that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, a good example is when I did start doing more cosplay. Uh, 2013 is when I started, it's when I did the cosplay calendar with, there were 17 of us, Ivy Doom Kitty, Justin Egri, Nadia Sonica, Leah Colburn. Uh, there were just a lot of amazing girls in that. And from that, I started traveling and doing all kinds of costuming and not working in film as much. Mm-hmm. And I was told later, about a year later, it's because some of the people that I've been working with or directors that were looking at me thought, oh, well, she's just more interested in Comic-Con. She doesn't want to act anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? No, because I mean, when you're at a show, you're performing. Right. So you're def. I mean, I'm definitely, there's, there's entertaining and performing going on right there. Uh, just and I'm doing interviews and things like that, so I am in front of a camera, but it isn't on set, mm-hmm. and and it is still relevant. Um, but because when you're acting, you're on set, you're not in the comic con world. You don't really know, you know, you don't know what it is. Sure, I would think a director would be more interested in somebody like you because they have a more varied skill set. I mean, most actors don't do cosplay other than certain events or Halloween. So for you to come in after doing events where you're live and you have to do things on the fly and you really build a skill set, almost like working in theater, that that would be something that they would say, wow, that's a different skill set. I bet that would bring something to my character. So I will agree with you. So when it first when I first started doing all of the cosplay and traveling, um, there were several people that I'd heard that, oh, well, that's all she wants to do is cosplay. That was only probably during the first year, because then after that, I had moved out to California by then, and I just have all of these costumes and all of this stuff that is wardrobe. Right. So when a production says, hey, come to this set, and we need we need you to have a cowboy outfit or uh, your own creation that's not a known name for this show so we can clear it from legal, and you come and you have a whole suitcase full of things, they love you. Sure. So it ended up helping me. Um, dropping the soap. I work with Modifying Vines a lot. I met her, actually, at the 2010 Comic-Con. And uh, that's Amanda with Modified Vines. And she, I, I just had all kinds of clothing from her and costumes. So when I went to Dropping the Soap, they said, okay, well, you're a vampire. Here's what we have. What do you have? And they all loved it. Like, the cast ran over. They're like, oh, look at this. Look what she has. Like, I got these big demonia boots. I had a couple different corsets. We've got this six foot long, like wavy uh, train uh, skirt that Amanda made. It's incredible, and they had me put that on. So I got to rock this really amazing look because I had this really fantastic wardrobe, and that's gotten me work now. Oh, now. Yeah. yeah. Whereas it, in, the, in the beginning, it hurt. Right. I love Amanda. She's such a fantastic person oh, and so creative. And she everything that I've seen amazing. her do is just quality. If it's not good enough, mm-hmm. she doesn't put it out. You know, and I love that about, I love people that care about quality over quantity. It's so important. She's a fantastic human. I love her. She's awesome. Yeah. She is. Yeah. She's so good at what she does. She really is. And very humble about it. She's never used a pattern. Really? Yes. Never. She looks at, she looks at the person. She'll take their measurements, obviously, Mm -hmm. but just for her so that she knows never made a pattern in her life. Wow. Isn't that insane? That's impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Very impressive. Now you you also do a lot of stuff yourself, though you do a lot of DIY stuff. I do. Yes, uh, I started that when I started cosplaying, which was back for all the comic cons. I think two thousand nine would have been the year. Um, and Amanda, the, the girls that I worked with, they make the costumes because I I still to this day don't really know how to sew. I can do some hand sewing, mm-hmm. um, but that's something I'm working on. 
I'm learning. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I wanted to help. I mean, I want to contribute to the outfit other than being there and picking here, this and this, but you sew it all together. So I started making accessories and I love it. Nice. I love it. So I did uh, Maleficent horns were my first endeavor with Warbluff. And mm -hmm. we did a uh, Mononoke mask mm -hmm. with clay and styrofoam. And see, I had one in mind that was like my favorite. It'll come to me in a second. Oh, the Harley. Oh, yeah. The Harley bat. So so when Suicide Squad came out, I I normally do characters that, are, that aren't the normal characters. Um, I cosplayed X-23 before Logan, old man. But was the movie Logan? I'm not sure. Before Logan was out. Um, just characters that aren't well known. Well, I remember when you did the uh, the uh, horns because that w when you were work first working with Warbler because I didn't know what it was and then yeah. you explained it to me and now that I've seen it every time I see somebody do something that's my first question is that Warbler you're working with and, and yeah. they're like how do you know what that is I have friends <laughs> exactly I don't even remember how I found out what it was because see that you know what it's been almost ten years so there weren't cosplay warehouses. Cosplay was not a thing here right. at, at all. It was over in Japan from what I understand, uh, mostly just over you know, overseas, not here. Right. Um, but you couldn't go online and find wigs specific. You couldn't go online and find costumes. You couldn't find things to craft um, for the costumes. You just couldn't. Right. So heard of the, you could, you could from overseas. And the shipping was insanely expensive. So I heard about this stuff, and the only place you could get it here in the U.S. was from Yayahan. And I ordered some from her, and then just started molding with it. Mm. And it was, it was really fun. It's good when you get to enjoy. I mean, because sometimes having to do things to prepare for a job can be tedious. But if you can enjoy the preparation process as much as you enjoy the job, then the whole thing's just that much better. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love, I love making my costumes. And now, even though I don't sew, um, I, I do make a lot of them or put the creations together myself. I'll take apart uh, different things that I buy and then put them, sew them together. I did, uh, J.P. Ross has a series of Rem 8, and I cosplayed one of her characters, Tay, mm -hmm. and I, I did that. Oh, Amanda did the pants. She made the pants. Oh. But I took all the other pieces apart. I, yeah, I forgot about that because I only wore it once. So that's a new one I have to shoot. Nice. I love it. You do a lot of different uh, characters with cosplay. I mean, you're not just yes. anime or just sci-fi or something like, right. like you know, people that go to the Comic-Cons, they just play the character that they adore on the screen, which is awesome because they really, a lot of them go to extreme details to make them great. Yeah. And I really oh, respect yeah. that. That's what I love about Comic-Con. It's just walking around and seeing people that love the genre and really get yeah. into what they were doing. I remember the second year I went, when I did my speech, uh, I saw a guy who was Pyramid Head, and he had a huge, like everything was to scale. Yeah. And walking around with that on all day must have just been unbelievably exhausting. Right. But he did it. Yeah. You know, I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. The dedication. But you also do a lot that are not characters. You just you do some that are just costume ideas you put together. How do you go about that? Do you have an idea? Do you see something that sparks an idea? Or how does that all happen? That is something that well, I've put... So I did a 90s bunny once. And that was just an on-the-fly. I'm going to put all these things together. This would be cute here. This would be cute there. Oh, I just got these shoes, and they match the ears perfectly. Um, but for the other outfits that I do, I want to sort of start designing some clothing, just very limited pieces, in looking through things that I would want to have or design or, you know, have a part of my line. I try to incorporate that into, okay, this is a style that I really like and want. I'm going to wear it, and hopefully everybody else thinks it's cute, but it kind of just comes from my own, my own like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And concoction. And Is there anything that you've done in a photo shoot where you were like, I really wish I didn't have that outfit or I wish I would have done something different instead of that? Um, it seems like you tend to be very happy after all of your shoots. It doesn't, like, I can't yeah. remember a time you've ever said anything to me where you're like, God, I wish, nah, I wish I hadn't have done that. You know, it's, it seems like you've had a pretty good streak. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, if I do a shoot and I'm not 
happy with it. It doesn't usually mean that I've never not been happy with a shoot because I wasn't happy with a shoot. It's been, oh, it didn't work for print or didn't work for what I'm trying to put out there. So I just keep it for myself. But I've been happy with basically everything that I've done. That's awesome. And there are shoots that I've done that I really want people to see, but they'll probably never get edited. Or And that happens with a lot of things, too, which is really sad. But It's a shame. It does, but it's good practice for next time. Well, yeah, and, and you can always recreate some of those things. You can take that idea and maybe do something a little bit different with it or a fresh twist on it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we're limited to a shoot that, for whatever reason, can't come out. Just the same as a movie. And, you know, you and I have both worked on so many projects that just never get released because of budgets or mm-hmm. arguments or company issues or whatever. Uh, Silly things, yeah. Exactly. And it's frustrating because you put so much time and energy into it. And especially for you, you you build a character and a persona. Mm-hmm. And then to spend all that time and energy and have it no one see what you wanted them to see can be pretty frustrating. It is a little frustrating. <laughs> Definitely where the whole audio is bad and the whole production. So mm-hmm. it never gets seen. Yeah, it's it. But, you know, you take it. I guess it just becomes a normal thing where you do the projects in order to to further yourself, to work on something you know that you're passionate about and that you really care about. And even if everybody doesn't get to see it, you know that you've done that. You know that you've had that. And hopefully you can at least take a couple of pieces from it for a reel or mm-hmm. for your own sake. But it's just something you gotta you got to know is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Be okay with it. I think, and especially if you're working indie projects, you kind of know going in that there's always a bit of a a risk to it. And after the first couple, if you don't know that by then, then I don't think anyone can help you. (laughs) You Exactly. Exactly. You know, but they're also good experience. I mean, they're, yeah. they're things that you still, you're working with new people. You can build great relationships that could lead to other work. You're getting more practice in to, to cultivate your art. I mean, there's, there's still good that comes out of those. Right. And you don't ever film or work on something like you think it's not going to come out. So you always put your all towards mm-hmm. it every time. Exactly. And that, you know, that'll help that no matter what, because sometimes projects come out. But after years and years and years, mm-hmm. so you still want to be proud of what you did even 10 years later, if for some weird reason it got released as some special director cuts from, you know, before he was famous. And, right. Yeah. Well, well, and even if, you know, if you get a, a 10 second scene out of that to put on your demo reel, that could be the scene that somebody sees that could say, yep. hey, I want to work with this person or I, I know somebody that I think she would work well with. Right. You know, yeah, it, definitely. You just always do your best is really the rule of thumb. Exactly. I would agree with you 100%. Yes. I like it when you do that. <laughs> I like your questions. You have really good uh, thought-provoking questions for me. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I, I want to dig into some stuff that people might not really um, talk about or think about a lot. And I like to really delve into the intellectual side of things quite a bit. And, you know, it's, it's great to talk about the individual projects and how fun they were and who you met and those kind of things. But, (sighs) you know, it, it, I'd I'd rather talk about the reality of things and the things that people might Mm -hmm. not really think about or or hear about a lot. Yeah, definitely. And they're, they're, they're very good questions. Thank you. I remember one of my favorite shoots of yours that you did was where you played this. I don't, I don't know what the descriptive words are, so I'm going to leave that to you. I will say clown in a bathtub. Okay. <laughs> so. Tell us about that one. That's, I okay, would say that's well. the most adventurous one that you've done as far as a character. I mean, that really kind of elicits some feelings as soon as you see it. It was... It was on the flies. I had just come down or come over from Arizona to L.A. because one of my films, Salvation, was premiering at the Chinese theaters. And then I was going to The Conjuring, I think, right after that uh, with James. So mm-hmm. I came out for a huge weekend. I was super excited. And I'm staying with a photographer and a fashion designer. And a makeup artist. That sounds like the perfect storm for a project. Right? So I get there, and I'm like, hey, I got it ready for this weekend. And Larry, like we always do, he's all, let's shoot. Let's shoot. (laughs) 
And I'm like, you know what? The night before a horror weekend? Yes, I do. Let's do it. Yep. So it totally got me in the mood for everything. Tara did my makeup, and he just told me, he kind of gave me some pointers, because he directs, and told me what to do with it. Not even what to do with it, just here's your frame of mind. And we shot, and it came out amazing, and he had just done one the week before with a, another guy that he knows um, and put together and made it a whole set that was Hamlet and Ophelia. And it was basically like the depression of of the, the clowns. You see and have to be happy all of the time. Mm-hmm. But behind closed doors, underneath the makeup, you're just hopeless. You're just so, you know, distraught. And that's really... We were really able to play with it. I think it came out great. Oh, thank you so much. It was almost like I finally let it all out look on your face in a couple of shots. Like I'm just spent from letting all this out that I've had kept in me, you know. (laughs) And I love the looking at the clown from the inter side of it. Because I remember years ago reading one of the Friday the 13th books. I think it was part six or part seven. And it was one where it actually tells you Jason's side of things, like why he's such a a killing machine. And to really start thinking about these characters from their perspective really leads a whole different perspective on the whole project. And when you look at clowns, something that really people are fearful and more grossed out by them than they enjoy them. Right. They make fun of them. They throw popcorn at them. Yeah. And I think I figured out why. Why? I think it's because the smile is so fake. Yeah. It's painted on. Like, I'm supposed to look happy, so I'm happy, but you don't really feel happy. So there's a difference in the look versus the energy, which kind of leads to that sort of, I don't trust you. Yeah. And I don't know what you're about to do at any moment. And you're just focused on me. So that's even worse. I I think that's why people are scared of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely, because you can't trust them. Yeah, that's that's a good... A good way to look at it. It is, because it is a very fake smile. It is, exactly. And I've had a long history with clowns. You know, I'm a big fan of National Clown Week because I just think it's funny that Mm -hmm. we have like a day for the guy that runs the country, but a whole week for clowns, which people are afraid of. (laughs) And now, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently Richard Nixon had signed this bill in that National Clown Week would become a thing. And now it really? is spread to International Clown Week. What? No way. It really? has. I just found that out this year. <laughs> That's crazy. It is. That's cool. And the reason that I wanted to become a film composer was because of the original miniseries for Stephen King's It. Ooh. There was a scene in there with a, uh, a, a photo album. Mm-hmm. And the music that Richard Bellis wrote for that was the first thing that made me go, I want to do that. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. So it is what inspired you to write music. That's fantastic. Yes, which is why I won't. I won't watch the new one. I can't. Oh, Be- well, it's so I have. Good. But you know, I have such a strong tie because of the career to the first one that I don't think there's anything they could do in the new one that's going to make me go, "Okay, that was better than the other one." Mm, it's so good. You have to see it. <laughs> it's so good. Maybe one of these days I will. It's. It is. Oh, and it stays really, there are a lot of parts that stay true to the book. I mean, not 100% true, just because you can't really ever do that with Stephen King. But mm-hmm. um, oh, it, I've seen it three times. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's working at uh, Warner Brothers, so she brought me in, and Warner Brothers does a premiere on their lot mm-hmm. uh, when they come out with a movie. So she's like, do you want to go to the it premiere with me? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Yeah. So I saw it there, and then... Uh, as soon as I could see it at home, I went with friends, and then I just made uh, someone else watch it a couple weeks ago, and I'm probably going to watch the instant. I love it. Fun. I think it's so good. Well, you know, I, I think part of it for me, too, is I just don't understand the idea of constantly rebooting stories that we already know how they end. I mean, you know how a Hollywood movie ends because Hollywood has that formula where everything has to end perfectly unless you're trying to create a sequel, but... We know the story. We've been on the journey. Give me a different journey. <laughs> True. They're, they definitely reboot a lot of things. Yeah. And and I wonder, 
other than because they know that it worked before and, you know, they want to stay a little safe mm-hmm. uh, and go with something that they think they know will work again, I wonder why. Like, are there not more stories that are new? I think it's purely financial. Um, what my understanding of it is, and I can't say this as fact because I've heard this all secondhand, but basically there's a 15% rule. If they can keep the budget to uh, 15% of what the original budget was, they're guaranteed a certain amount of audience that will check out the the reboot because they love the first one so much. So they gauge it all on numbers of the people that are going to be curious enough to see the second one and a certain percentage of new viewers. But it's basically a formula to say, here's how we can start padding our bank accounts. And that helps us balance some of the large budget flops. Like if a $300, $300 million film flops, Mm -hmm. you got to make that up somewhere. So from a, from a business standpoint, I get it, but from an artistic standpoint, and of course there are business people that are making these decisions, but as an artist, Mm -hmm. it's it's just hard for me to watch some of this stuff. At least give me a different side of the story. Give me something different to see in it than just telling me the same story. Not just a straight reboot. Right. Yeah. I could, I could at least give that a chance, but if it's just going to be a straight reboot that I really don't see the point of. Mm Mm-hmm. So that must have been a pretty a pretty incredible weekend for you. What was it like having a film that you were in premiere at the Chinese Theater? I mean, that's that's like a pinnacle in the in the world for a premiere. Oh my god, it was so much fun. Um my girlfriend Cheryl uh drove me down to go with me. I, I was just like, "Oh, I have a movie premiering. This is really cool. Like I've never had a big premiere like that before." So I went and I got a special outfit. We went to the outlet stores <laughs> on my way there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I found a really pretty BB, a one-piece uh, outfit. And I had these gorgeous shoes that I ordered for it. And we got to stand up on the stage. And the director didn't even know I was going to be there. So he was like, what? He, you know, he came up to me a huge hug. Super happy to see me. Oh, uh, it was It was a lot of fun. It really was just everything that you hoped for. And then afterwards, it was just cool because it was... The, the other people who come to support and watch the movies are also actors. Right. Like legitimate, you know, commercial actors who run the Kellogg's commercials that you watch, like other... From every scope of acting. So after the movie, you go back, you go into the lounge, and then you're just surrounded by all these like-minded, working, just happy, positive people. It's so great. And it wasn't anything that I had experienced before then. Mm-hmm. I was. I feel very fortunate to have been a part of it. Did they do a Q and A after? They did. Did you get to be part of that? Yeah, the whole cast stood up on the stage uh, and did, and we were all a part of it. I don't think I got asked any questions, um, but my my role in the film is pretty small. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm throughout the whole thing, but but it was still it was fun to be a part of. It. I stood by the. Uh, the main actress in mm-hmm. the film. Now, I know how it feels to, to experience your work on screen because as a musician, I've done film scoring and I've been able to go to, to the premieres and things. But how does it feel as an actor to see physically see yourself on that particular screen? Um, it was exhilarating. And, and really, you know, I guess I watched myself to be, you know, I expected to... I don't know, maybe be self-conscious about it or because I was nervous. Oh, I wonder how it's going to have turned out. Mm-hmm. I felt like I did a good job in it, but still, you never know. And you don't know how the editing is going to go. So right. when when I saw the film, I was I was so happy with it. I was, I don't know, I guess it was almost like a calming happy. So it was really, it was nice and it's, it, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it was great. I would, I would imagine it's very surreal. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It definitely was. I remember uh, it wasn't Halloween night. It was Halloween week, though, where they're doing a whole um, week of of, uh, horror films down at the Chinese Theater when I lived out there. Mm. And Mm -hmm. one of the films that they had premiered was Julia with Ashley C. Williams. And she's in probably 85% of the film. I mean, it's really all about her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the the Q&A afterwards, which I didn't know they were going to do. So that was a pretty amazing experience just as an audience member. And um, she and I had been friends for a while, but that was the first time we met. 
And uh, there is some, definitely a magic. And I think part of it is just the history of the theater. And it's a beautiful theater. If anyone gets the chance to go see a film there, I would highly recommend it. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it is, you're right. Use the right word for that. It is magical. Because afterwards you see the film, you see everything done. You watch, you know, you watch the whole thing through completion. And then it's not just over. Right. The cast is there. Mm-hmm. Everybody's there. And they want to hear what you thought about it. You know, they want to know what questions you have or is there something that you didn't understand. And you really get to sit and then go even more in depth into the story after you've seen the whole thing once mm-hmm. it's been completed. Yeah. I'm so glad you got to have that experience. That's pretty, that's oh, pretty thank amazing. Thank you. Me too. So getting back to, to the cosplay work that you do, and I think we're going to have to have you back on to talk about all the film work and everything else. And uh, Yeah, I uh, love that. You, you do such a variety of things in your shoots. And I, I'm sure I haven't seen all of your work because you've done so much of it, but I've seen a lot of it. And there isn't anything that I could say, I don't really think she was into it. You know, every every shoot that you do is has a believable quality to it. Like this is really a world that you were in, or this really happened. And I like that because, because I'm I, a great actress. Well, there it I is. Half of my shoots. No, I'm just kidding. Well, but but there is something to it because I when I look at a lot of shoots, uh, you know, and I have you know people will send me their shoots to say you know I'd love to be on one of your album covers, and part of that comes from mm-hmm. seeing you on on Sanity's Edge too. But. I don't believe a lot of them. They seem very contrived and set up. Whereas I don't get that with yours. With yours, I'm like, somebody just took a shot of this event happening. Or it just they just seem natural. Is that, do you think, uh, a combination of you and the director? Or you feeling comfortable with the shoot? Or what, do you, what would you attribute that to? Uh, I would say being comfortable with it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a lot to do with it. But you can't be comfortable unless you're comfortable with the the person behind the camera. So that also, I mean, you got to have a good person shooting and then be comfortable with it. And I, and then it helps if you have some kind of passion to whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, sure. so you feel something, something for real about it. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to just put on that face. Right, because it's not really being a model. It's really more being an actor. Yeah. It is. And it's just captured in stills and film. Well, depending on, I mean, for cosplay specifically, yes, definitely. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're becoming that character. Now, is there is there times when you've been asked to do things that kind of cross that line for you? Or are people pretty respectful? Cosplay-wise? Yeah. Um, there was one artist, I'm not going to say who it was, yeah. um, who really, really wanted me to cosplay his character. And talk to me about, you know, us getting made into a movie with these names attached, and um, he really wanted me to do a part of it, but he only wanted me to cosplay it, and uh, so that he could see pictures of the cosplay, and, you know, how, how how's it going to look, and things like that. But the more we researched the character, because Amanda was going to help me on it, the more we realized it was basically nude. <laughs> I guess it was oh. it was more adult than, like, not like a fantasy adult. Oh, there's some nudity in this, but so yeah, that one I didn't do. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's not, and eh, I don't really know how to cosplay naked, so because right, right. it's just naked. <laughs> yeah, that's just standing there. Right. <laughs> so for I, I know that there's a lot of people that want to do the kind of work that you do. What advice would you give them to? sort of feel out people because obviously when you start getting into it, everybody that you shoot with is going to be new. How do you learn to build a trust or how do you research people to where you can say, okay, I feel like this is a legitimate thing I should do. What I've seen that most people, most of the girls do is they look for the photographers that are well-known at the convention. What I think that should be done is, you, you definitely want to make sure that you check them, check out their Instagram, check out their their Facebook, their whatever social media it is that you follow of theirs or that you've seen them on to know that you like their work and mm-hmm. see some of the people that they've shot with. Mm-hmm. Then contact the people they've shot with and say, hey, I'm interested in working with this individual. How do you feel about them? Mm-hmm. Or did they make you uncomfortable in any way? Or you don't, you don't even have to go that far in asking, just, you know, how was your would you shoot? Would you recommend me shooting with this person? Uh, if you can't get a hold of anyone that they've shot or 
anything to that extent, then maybe you should wait. Um, and you don't always have to go with people that you find on Instagram that have tons of followers either. It's okay if you know someone who's playing around with photography and wanting to get into it to, to help them out as well. You know, jump in front of the camera. If you don't like it, cool. Don't use any of the shots. Mm-hmm. But it's practice, and then they might be amazing. And then you'll end up with some great photography that you didn't even have to go search for strangers for. Or they could be, you know, the next up-and-coming huge personality that they're just starting out. That's right. You never know. It happens more than you'd think. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere. Would you recommend bringing someone with you to, you know, kind of be aware of what's going on and just be there as a presence? Yes and no. I don't really think it's a bad idea. Uh, to have a chaperone, mm-hmm. but it depends on who they are and also who you're going to be shooting with. Some photographers don't like it, but it's because what happens is when there's someone around during a shoot, you act differently. Right. You're not going to be as comfortable. Don't be paying enough attention. Mm-hmm. Um, things are just a little, a little different. So that's the only reason I would say no. I don't 100 percent suggest it, but. Um, on the other hand, if a photographer refuses to work with someone, if they bring someone and they just want you to come and do something that you're not even sure if you'll be comfortable with, then you definitely shouldn't go do that shoot. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of a red flag. It should never not be allowed. I, I get the idea of, of being different, though, because you may not, it, it may be harder or, or impossible to fully immerse yourself in, in the actual project if you know mm-hmm. that there's somebody there. You know, I, I get that idea, but I would think yeah. making the person comfortable first would be more important than anything else. Yeah. Because if you're not comfortable, mm-hmm. you're also not going to be able to do it. Right. I mean, you can always, at least someone can drop you off, you know, if they don't want the chaperone there or text the address that you're going to be at or the name and make sure that people know where you are if mm-hmm. you're getting into, into doing shoots. Because there really are a lot of people out there that can be creepy. Guy with camera is what we call it. Guy with camera. Just because you have a camera does not mean you're a photographer. That's true. I mean, you can buy a Mercedes. That doesn't make you a good driver. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Everything that you do is not just the role that you're playing, but there's part of you in that role. You're showing part of yourself to the world as well as the character. Oh, yeah. Every time. Every time. There's no way to get away from that. Do you have you ever found it difficult to walk away from a character when you've been done with a shoot? Ooh. I had one that didn't get finished that I really, really, really wanted to. Um, I did the most research on this character than I have for any character, and it was yeah, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that happens, and actually, you know, in Western X, I really was sad. But that didn't continue on either because we were working on a spinoff mm-hmm. where I played Alexis Lynch and I went and I was just a badass. Like there'd be buildings blowing up behind me like in Desperado <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to have different outfits made by Amanda for all the different uh, episodes and that that one's one I don't ever want to let go. Right. I really hope that still gets made because she's, she's kicked ass. That would be fun. That would absolutely be fun because, I mean, most of the the time, you know, women don't get a lot of action roles. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're starting to now, which I I like. I like seeing strong female um, characters. Like you look at Katniss in Hunger Games Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, you look at the um, uh, Underworld series and you see Mm -hmm. these just badass women. And I I love that. I want to see more strong female roles than just the the woman that that is behind the scenes binding the family together and all this stuff that we've seen for years. Cooking the dinner. I I think with every character, uh, while you put some of yourself into the character, you also take a little part of that character back with you every time. So you never really leave it. Mm -hmm. You're able to still hold on because you work so hard or should as an actor uh, on becoming that person, that personality, that character, what what it is that you're playing. Yeah. And you put yourself there, physically, emotionally, mentally. So when you leave that show, whatever it is that you're working on, you've still got that. And now you know how to tap into that. But now there's a different part that you may not have even have known existed, and that won't go away. Right. 
Right. And then to go and do the next thing and you have to just create something new and really let go of the last thing that you did as, as much as it might be with you. Yeah. I could see that being difficult. Uh-huh. I tend to even get that a little bit in, in film scoring, you know, because that's a pretty intensive process and you work very, very closely with the film for a long time. And then you go to do the next thing and part of you wants to continue the score that you did on the last one because you're doing another project, but you really do have to just let go and wipe the slate and create something completely new. Exactly. Learn not to take it personally. Yes. Well, before we wrap up, I think we would be remiss, especially this time of year, if we didn't talk about the other project that that you and I did together, uh, which was my Sanity's Edge album. Sanity's Edge. Sanity's Edge. And you played the the lead role and came over and did your uh, your voiceovers in like an hour and a half. And I had so much fun recording you because you just got so into it, even though your character is just this sort of downtrodden, beaten, stuffed in a locker high school girl (laughs) at first, (laughs) you know. Yes. You really just kind of, you know, really dove into that character and brought out a good amount of emotion. What was that session like for you? Thank you. Oh, my God. Well, I had this for forever. And I feel bad because I remember I kept rescheduling or we had to keep rescheduling. Mm -hmm. So uh, finally I went over there and I had spent the night prior to that just going over it over and over and over because I was like, I'm going to know this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have this for when, you know, I go and I do the voiceover. Uh, so I just went and I just tried to get into it as much as I could, remembering, okay, this is just like I was at home. I'm not surrounded by anybody and nobody's here. Play the part. Uh, it was really fun to, to dive into. I love roles like that. I want to do another. <laughs> Is it really different doing a like a studio voiceover as opposed to doing an acting job or you know a cosplay thing? Is it is it a really different the environment? Is it different so much that it kind of throws you off a little bit? Yes and no. Uh, sometimes there are close sets on film, um, but with voice, yeah, you're kind of just by yourself in just a little area, and you get to you can be more dramatic mm-hmm. than than if you were on set, uh, or you could be quieter because the audio pick up more. So yeah, you can, you can really do more with your voice and with inflections and things when you do audio than, than when you're on set. Right. And because that really is the only focus. I mean, you can do whatever facial expressions right. you want to do to make, uh, yeah. to, to get your voice to do whatever. And um, it's, it's probably a little weird doing that and not having a camera because most of the time there's a camera. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you can be more comfortable in that sense, too. Not, oh, am I going to look weird when I'm doing this? Yeah, doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Right. I mean, a lot of voice actors, especially if they're trying to do an impersonation, they'll they'll watch themselves do it in the mirror so that they can kind of get the mm-hmm. feel of that character and everything yeah. down. It's quite a different exactly. art. It's, it's definitely a different form of acting. It is. But yeah, I, I had it. so much fun on that project. And every time I revisit it, because I, I don't listen to my older stuff a lot, but but I would say at least once or twice a year, I'll go back and revisit at least the albums that I've released. Okay. And I just recently listened to Sanity's Edge. I think it was a couple of weeks ago when I was finished with the, the new Haunted Holidays album. I went back and listened Ooh. to it. I'm like, I had so much fun with this project. We really need to do something yes. else together at some point. We do. I would love that. Yes. Yes. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the show. I definitely want you to come back and visit us so we can talk more about acting and different things in the world. And I'm just so excited that, you know, from the time that we met to see where you are now in your career, it's just been an amazing growth. And I I really think that all the hard work and dedication that you've put into it have really made the difference. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I'm so happy to be here and to still be in contact with you. And I definitely want to work on something with you again in the very near future. Well, thank you. I would love that. And it's just because you're more famous than me. When, <laughs> when I, if I ever you're surpass you, no, I'm, I would never, never stop talking oh, to you for any goodness. reason. You're just, you're just too you much better fun. better not. Never, never. Well, thank you. Uh, have, a, have a great night and thanks for coming on the show. And we definitely look forward to seeing you again. No problem. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wow. See what I mean? Very driven, very hardworking, 
you know, you, you don't get anywhere without putting in that kind of effort and not just hard work, but intelligent work, researching who you're working with, you know, knowing how to stay safe, knowing how to be bold and be confident and uh, really just go for it. And she's done such a great job. Definitely can't wait to see where she goes next. And uh, ho- hopefully we'll come up with something to work on uh, here pretty soon. Uh, if we can once again coordinate our schedules to actually be in the same place at the same time. Have a great week, everybody.